Welcome Wheatland Church. Um, this is Cross Reference with Pastor Luke LeDuc and Dr. Dan Spanger, an opportunity to talk through the sermons, to develop a little more some of the things that Pastor Luke is working through as he's leading us through, at this point, First John and uh, moving us out of Obadiah in the Old Testament into uh, the work of one of Christ's apostles he's writing. And um, a tough book, uh, Pastor Luke, I don't think for the lack of clarity of John as opposed to Paul, but a deep book. Yeah, it is one of those things. I, I remember when I was preaching through John's epistle, somebody said, uh, when you, you when you said it's a deep book, somebody had said it's uh, John's uh, gospel was shallow enough for a child to play in and deep enough for a giant to drown in. And, <laughs> it feels and, about right. <laughs> yeah, so John has a history of, of doing this to us. Right. Yeah, and I mean, and it's and you're right. That's a good way to say it because it's somewhat deceiving, in that it sounds like you know if my if my uh, my middle child at the age of twelve picks up First John, she go, oh, I, I see what he's saying. This is pretty mm -hmm. simple, but but if you actually stare at it, it's like one of those pictures, you know, where all of a sudden it just becomes three dimensional and it jumps yeah, out. Yeah, right. So you stare at John, and you realize, wait a minute, this is far more complicated and difficult mm. than I first thought it was. But I think you bore out in your sermon. Um, yeah, there there are these facets that. Um, just when you think you've seen what there is to see, it gets turned on you and the light hits it a different way. No pun intended with the light, but that's clever. And, uh, <laughs> and then, nice that you admitted how clever. Yeah, thank you. Very helpful, yeah. Uh, and, and the next thing you know, you're off onto a whole nother facet uh, right. to explore. So, yeah. So, so let, let's touch on one of those because you, you, you use this as a framework. And I know you mentioned this in our podcast on the previous piece, end of First John chapter one, beginning chapter two. But you, you, you really drove home this time that you wanted to break up between the theologian John and the pastor, which I, I think that's helpful for us because if, if, if John's complex, we can sort of read him for a moment as a theologian, then we can put mm. that down and pick him up as a pastor, a very sort of helpful heuristic device. What, what's, the, what's the difference, if you could say, just before we look at the text, between a theologian and a pastor? What is the tension between those two offices? Yeah, I, <clears throat> that is... It, when when I started thinking about it, it was after my first sermon uh, on, or was it after my second? I don't know how many I've done now, but either way, um, I it, it was after I initially began uh, doing some work here. Um, it was after the first sermon on John that it really began to click that, oh, I know why I'm struggling with this, because it seems to me that John is actually... Uh, I. Either I'm getting caught up in the theology of what I'm seeing here, or I'm like wanting to jump right to the pastoral thing. And I think you're right. There is a tension. And I think for me, as I'm reading it, I think with John especially, because I am somewhat familiar with his gospel from having preached through that and, mm -hmm. and sort of plotted my way through the theological themes through John's gospel, when I go to read his epistle, I'm picking up and I'm saying, look at you, you clever cat. Look, at, he's going <laughs> right back and he's grabbing this thing and he's spinning it a different way. And I'm thinking about the theology of it. But then I look and he's, a, he's doing like this application stuff that I'm not used to John doing in, in his gospel. Mm. Um, in his gospel, it's like this deep narrative that you can, like I said at the beginning, you can play in at a couple of different depths. Mm. But I think the tension between theologian and pastor is for 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 John, he is writing in his gospel in order that you might believe. Right, right. And and here it seems like in his epistle, 
he's writing pastorally with all of that theology in order that you might know that you have eternal life, you know, and mm-hmm. if, if we were to go through and plod all of the reasons why John writes his epistle, you'll find like 12 different statements, 12 different statements. I'm writing this so that you may mm-hmm. know, or I'm writing that there's like 12 different things there, but it seems to me um, in, in, in the epistle we are getting John the theologian with these propositions and these illusions and that sort of thing. But then when it comes to John the pastor, which for me is like a new twist on John that I didn't encounter in his epistle, in his gospel, that he is taking these things and he's applying them in a couple of different layers and a couple of different ways. So the idea to me is between that the tension to me is, is between his propositions and his theology proper and how he teases that out and applies it in the situation, especially for where this letter was written. So your 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 distinction, the contrast between those two things hits me rather personally because as a seminary student, or I mean, years and years ago now, right. um, I felt that tension that seminary was a wonderful place to learn about how, as you say, propositions, these truths interact mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? There's love and law and gospel and holiness and but then then if you know in the middle of that ruminating someone came to me and say hey look i'm really struggling with sin I, i'm not sure i would know what to do about that i'm sure embedded in the theology are some deep truths i could draw on but it is this other set of skills or practices to then say okay given all of these truths about who god is how does that actually help my brother and sister or myself actually live out a love for god and and that is um and I guess as a pastor, you have to walk that line pretty frequently, but that's a that's a tricky. I'm a professor. I don't have to do the second part. Yeah. I don't, I don't care how you have to live about it. I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. teach history. Uh, yeah, but you exactly. have to do both. So, so yeah, do you, you see do. yourself in John here? Do you see that John's yeah. living out your own struggle in some way? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's it's almost as if that pastor theologian, I, you know, there's lots of... Um, stuff that you could go online and search right now. And there's been a resurgence of this idea. Um, I, I think I remember Sinclair Ferguson talking about this at some point in our classes about um, holding these two in tension and together um, that as, as, a, as a minister, you are a pastor and a theologian right, and you right. can't do just one and there are people who try to do just one and then there are people that try to do just the others and you're probably going to have certain mm-hmm. weaknesses in mm-hmm. one area and weaknesses in another but but I think as as a pastor and and how I am sort of walking through this letter for us is like the joy of it is that all of these propositions, I think this is what John is doing so well, that these propositions are pastoral propositions so that there's never any wasted, you're not wasting any time following John's theology back to creation or light and darkness. None of that is wasted because all of that has deep pastoral implications. Um, And for me, the, the, the hard part, I think, or, or the work, I don't know if it's hard, but the work of it is uh, following that and, and being willing to sit with it and wait with it and think about it in our context and, and that sort of thing. That's the work of it. Hmm. But it definitely is one of those things that allows you to approach the propositions um, 
with heart, I guess. Mm -hmm. you, you, you read them with your mind, but then you always know that these things are going to the heart somehow. And I just have to uh, be patient and find out how that works out. Well, maybe, maybe that's the helpful framework there to understand how it's both theology and pastoral and that there are these truths that are hard to mentally grasp, living them out is consistent, but it's a different piece. In, in, in verse four, you, you, you've spent a little time talking in verse five about this idea that keeping the word, which is directly connected to his commandments in verse four, mm -hmm. that this is, um, in doing this, this is how we act, our love of God is actually perfected. There's a lot of high theology because you talk about the law of God, the Old Testament of the Torah, all of his commandments, mm -hmm. all of that's mm -hmm. high theology. And this idea of perfecting, which you spent a little time on, mm -hmm. is also a high theological term, this idea that it's made yeah. to eat in us. Yeah. Um, what, what tease out some of these propositions and some yeah. of the doctrines for us? <clears throat> yeah, so to take one step back, I would say that like as I was reading through it, and again, these are artificial and at some level arbitrary. I don't think, you know, it's this is not like uh, the... Um, that theory from reading the first five books where you're finding the Yahwist and the, <laughs> and the Eloist and right, right. You know, JEDP theory of Old Testament criticism. Now you've uh, lost 90% of our listeners. Right. But anyway, the point is, it's not like you can read a verse and say, oh, that's John the theologian. Oh, oh look, there's John the pastor. I'm not going to say that. That's, that's silly. But I, I do, as I read through it, what helped me frame it was to say, okay, verses three to, uh, let's see, six, were really these propositions that were just bald and hard hitting. Mm -hmm. um, we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. If you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Mm -hmm. uh, but whoever keeps him, keeps the, his word and, and the, his commandments truly, like, without a doubt, the love of God is perfected. Yeah. And, and so for me, it was these that created this, I, what I felt like was John the theologian making some propositions. And especially with that idea of perfected, when I was, I always do, um, again, I need to be uh, honest in, in all of this. I have a Greek grammar open uh, and the Greek text open, but I really have no facility in the language to be making major any any sort of uh, decisions on translations i'm just looking You're not at preaching it. out of your uh, new testament no no no, no. i i am not or i or and or something right uh but i i noticed uh that as i was reading maybe it was in one of the commentaries that was getting into this idea okay what is the love of god perfected it's the same word that Jesus used from his cross. And of course, I think with John, he, he never wastes an image. Like if mm. you've, if you spent time with him, you know, that he's never doing anything, you know, as uh, just by chance, he, he's mm. very intentional with words that he's using in images and phrasing. So when it, when it became clear that this is, that sort of theological trail that John is leaving back to the cross, um, it, it really made sense to me of that whole theology of who Jesus was as Messiah, who he was as an Israelite. And that's sort of where I got into the idea that um, the love of God is perfected in the one who keeps his commandments. Oh, that's messianic theology going mm -hmm. on right here, because there was only one who ever 
kept the commandments that were given to Israel. And he had to come from heaven as an Israelite, you know, that sort of idea. And that, and that's really some heavy language too, right? Because if, I mean, if we, if we go back to old Testament theology about the holiness of God and the sacrificial systems and all of this complexity poured in because we're not perfect, because God's law is beyond us. And because we are um, those who know, none of us live without sin the idea of being perfected is a is a very high sort of legal statement about our moral condition, exactly. um, and and he's combining the love and law here in a way I think right that Christ does get at in the in the in his Sermon on the Mountain probably throughout a lot of his sermonizing, but these are really difficult concepts to say about ourselves to say, mm-hmm. you're asking me to perfect, right? That's a, that's a high theological term perfect mm-hmm. in me because of the love of God which is something I have a difficult time grasping so. He's yeah. laid not only just theologically, but a bit of a high bar here, I guess, for us. Yeah, I mean, because even the the law was given with the expectation that you would fail it. <laughs> and so there were sacrificial system built in. Right. Whereas in this case, Jesus comes as the sacrifice, hmm. but who keeps it perfectly, this this irony in this in this hmm. in this beautiful um, but yeah, totally brand new concept of of perfection for Jew, for people approaching the law, mm. um, to think that the love of God is being perfected in them would be, would, would be stunning and, and, and shocking in a sense, because it would mean the sacrificial system is, mm. is gone in one sense. Yeah, and, that, and that, that really does place a lot of weight on the end of verse five and then verse six is whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way as he walked. Mm-hmm. That's, um, yeah, that's difficult. Yeah, that's at that point where um, I felt like, okay, John, thanks for all of this theology, but that <laughs> is a heavy, heavy hand you've just dealt. Right, right. Which I, you know, understanding again, this is where I'd say, you know, my my kids would look at that and go, wow, that's you know, we ought to be good. But mm-hmm. if you had the whole Old Testament behind you by the time you got to First John here, mm-hmm. that's not just oh, isn't that interesting? That's like he's just buried me under a rubble of my own sin here. I just right. made this almost beyond well beyond reach quite frankly right right so then so then how does he transition from that into this next phrase verse seven beloved i'm writing you well uh, beloved i mean this idea that this is kind yeah i mean i think that that's great i think people miss that sometimes um we read too fast don't we but but to to stop and say okay i'm feeling your panic hey you're well loved (laughs) beloved but then he goes on to almost underline it to say, I'm writing you no new commandment. Right. <laughs> like this is the well, same I'm breaking command. The old yeah, this is, <laughs> we're still talking about the same deal here where, um, you know, all of the, all of the demands of the law that were still, that you've had from the beginning. Right. Um, but, the, but the transition is, and I think it gets into it, verse eight, and and it's this pastoral again. Uh, you know, if I had to identify, it would say here John switches gears into this pastoral bit where he mm. says, "But there is something in all of this which is new. It's a new commandment which is true in him and in you." And and that's where we spent some time mm. talking about. Okay, all of a the sudden, there's new encouragement that comes for. And an old, uh, an old failure that Israel continually faced day in and day out was her failure to keep the old commandment. But all of a the sudden, there's something new with it, and that's Jesus Himself. 
and this idea that love right i mean that was your point too is that that in the commandments of god um is to live out the completion of love and that this then complete this then fulfills even further when he describes in a sense the completion of this work in you as the love that you have for your brothers mm. is that does that help us avoid what theology can sometimes do lead us in a little bit of legalism we've got all mm -hmm. these high laws and these high responsibilities and we can't meet mm -hmm. them but if 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 it's the love of god being lived out in us and then therefore it's shown in the way we love our brothers is this is this a thing that's hopeful then is this a thing that's gracious that's given to us a work to do that's not burdensome yeah yeah, it's heavy, but it's not burdensome. It's heavy, but it's as, not burdensome. As John will say. Um, yeah, because there's a sense in which um, legalism puts the focus square on yourself and mm -hmm. your work and your worth and your ability. And here, what you're seeing is that the focus the way, you know, I started with that phrase, love for God is obedience to God that is put on display through our love for others. Mm -hmm. And it's like that phrase is the thing that protects you from legalism on one side and antinomianism or just, you know, doing away with the law or obedience right. on the other side. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right, Dan. And that it's it's john walking you through each and every that theology and now bringing that to you in these pastoral moments here that says hey this has been done and now it's it's growing and and being completed in you and this is how you avoid both of those ditches on either side well let's let's go back there for a minute Pastor Luke, because i think that's helpful for us to to go through and that is this you know i'm, I'm not sure if everyone hearing would say well i don't I don't see why legalism and antinomianism are quite the problem. Um, so maybe just to find those terms in a second, but also that what this assumes, which I think we do in our tradition, um, is that our true need in life is to be reconciled with a holy God, right? Our true need mm -hmm. is to be reconciled with a God whose standards are as high as John is talking about here. His commandments, his word, his character are absolute, perfect, and pure. And that we are, in fact, not. Right? Every, mm -hmm. every part of us, one way or another, struggles with, um, you know, as, as Paul says in Romans 3, all, all sinning um, as every part of our character. And so how do we climb back into this relationship with this holy God? And, and there's these two fa failures that you referenced, and maybe you can tease these out. In one case, getting back to God is, is pretty simple. Just do the good stuff. And so you just right. keep holding yourself accountable like Benjamin Franklin, you lay down all the good things, mm -hmm. you do them one by one. On the other side, you go, well, you can't, so you might as well not even try. So maybe can you just tease out why these two are pitfalls in this central yeah. desire of humanity and need to be restored to their creator? Yeah, there's a sense in which both of them are radically man-centered. Hmm. And that is often, uh, it, it's counterintuitive, um, but I think when you, when, when you lay it out, both of these approaches uh, to reconciliation with God focus in on who man, who, let, let's, let's be specific, who we are in ourselves. Hmm. And so if, if, if we're going to take this idea of the trap of legalism, it, there is this trap that uh, there is this sense in which that I can, I've got the law, and in order to just do the law, I'm going to actually build stuff 
around the law in order that I never even get close to falling off the edge of the law. So, so this is sort of the idea of legalism and, and, and me keeping this in the way that I keep it commends me to God, that idea that you could actually somehow, I, the tricky thing about getting into this discussion of legalism is that no legal, no, no one who's struggling with legalism would ever honestly claim that their work, I'm, I'm talking about in our circles now, mm. would never honestly claim that they're working for their own right relationship with God. It's, it's never mm. that bald. And how it's, does it appear? It's yeah. never, it often, I think, manifests itself in this idea of building things around the law. Um, let, let's take uh, an example, a common example, like drinking alcohol or something like that. Um, I'm a legalist. A legalistic approach to alcohol is not to see it as God's good gift. I'm not saying you have to drink alcohol. I'm okay. Uh, now I, there's a whole new thing, but I'm, I'm just, uh, a le because the scriptures do not forbid one from drinking alcohol, a legalistic approach would say, I can see that drunkenness is a clear violation of God's law. Therefore, in order to avoid drunkenness, I will never drink alcohol. And so I have set this law. That in itself is not the problem. The problem lies within our heart. And the problem is the in, in, incipient pride in human hearts that begins to lean towards and run out towards some sort of confidence in the way in which we find ourselves as acceptable to God. I was listening to a lecture. Um, I think you shared it with me, Dan, today. I was listening to it over lunch about uh, Tim Keller gave at Wheaton oh, yeah. College. Oh, it was a Wheaton, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he this was in 2015, I saw um, on the link there. But um, he says, you know, we never want to just be smart, we want to be smarter than so and so, or we never want to be good, we, we have to be better than XYZ. And that's human nature. And I, I think that's what happens in legalism. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not so much that we um, are the pride in our hearts runs out towards that. And so we find ourselves saying, oh, it's not that I'm just not getting drunk. It's there's something about the way in which I have fenced off myself from uh, disobeying God's law that makes me better or safer or, or something. And, and we begin to compare it with others. But either way, that is a long digression to say <laughs> that the focus in legalism is on ourselves. Our, the pride in our hearts runs out to turn this around to be about our own goodness, our own wisdom, our own thoughtfulness. Our is that, own is that to say in your thinking that is, is this the problem that happens there is that when we when we treat the law like it's something we can keep is that we um, we hinge the relationship with God on our on a test of our ability or or is it even further than that, that we actually come to idolize our ability as if that's the thing God is so enamored with? I think it's probably both of those. I don't, I don't, I, I would think it's, it's both of those. And, and I think 
maybe we mentioned this in the last podcast, but what it does a disservice to in the end is our doctrine of the fall and the thoroughgoingness of mm. sin that all of our, like when we take, when we take up that refrain from the prophet that all of our righteousness is us filthy rags. Um, we just don't always, aren't always able to wrestle with the twistedness of our own hearts and the way that we're able to get into a good situation and make it about ourselves. Terry Lynn is always telling me uh, how good I am at turning a conversation that she's trying to have with me into a conversation about myself. And now here in a weird way, I've just done that with this <laughs> illustration. And that's not the point. But but to say that our hearts are always turning and doing, and I think that's how legalism um, most often happens in our own context. Again, yes, there are people who believe they're like rank and raw legalism, that they're weighing their good and their bad deeds against one another and their good deeds are going to win and that sort of thing. I, it's I don't... a tendency that we just have to stay vigilant about, I'm guessing, that it's just a tendency in our hearts. And I think if you look in our culture, that seems to be the way it's going now, that there's sort of standards that are laid out. And you need to act this way or live this way in order to be good. Um, it's a set of behaviors that you need mm -hmm. to. I mean, and I don't know how many people are trying to do them because they're right or just don't want to be perceived as bad. So we do whatever you know, whatever we feel we have to do to be liked by our, by yeah. our culture. But yeah, logically it's, um, I think you're right. And then yeah. in that regard, isn't it just a, just an abject ignorance of God's holiness as mm. in his character that, mm. that somehow yeah. is something that we can and, that sin aside. And that's the, that's actually the other side of the coin of that, not seeing your own, the, the thoroughgoingness of the curse of sin, how it works in your life is not being able to see the absolute and utter holiness and and other uh, and and goodness and transcendent uh, perfection mm. of who God is like that's the other side. If you can't if you can't sense the way sin has broken you, it's because you <laughs> don't know how holy God is mm. and how good His plans and intentions were for humanity in at at their creation. Mm. At, at our creation i should so say. is love is love the way that john is talking is that the antidote because you, you said that legalism yeah. very much about right. us it is and and so on the same side antinomianism right. or or um this idea that i can dismiss keeping the law at one level because christ has fulfilled it for me and that that was christ and he's done that and now he loves me and, and whenever God sees me, he sees Jesus and Jesus' perfect keeping of the law. And so the commandments don't necessarily become a way to live, but they become something that Jesus fulfilled for me. And, and now I get to live in this sort of freedom and this, you know, this sort of light. And, and there's a lot of truth in that as well. And yet, if you even just go back to the verse six here, whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way Jesus walked. The whole point of this passage is that Jesus is the one who kept the law hmm. in a body as an, as an Israelite. 
Hmm. And, and that has profound implications for, I think, antinomianism or this idea that now um, the law sort of has passed away and now we have this, you know, this real immediate relationship with God and Jesus, which is true in a sense, but it's true because of what Jesus has done by keeping the law because of our union with him and how his love is transforming us to be like Jesus, which is to fulfill the law, which is to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So equally, equally what the antinomian and the legalist love, love is missing, right? Cause I, in the, in the legalist, then um, there's, there's not a love for God that's pursuing. It's a, it's a selfish, you know, protection of oneself or to get it right so mm-hmm. that you're not rather than, seeing the law as an opportunity to love God. And then antinomian who frees himself from having to actually try to love God, say, well, I'm forgiven. So yeah. nothing matters. God doesn't care what I do. And so we actually don't right. see the need to, to draw closer to God in love. So it's love that, that John's talking about the antidote to both of these. Yeah. And it be, called it, selfish, ultimately selfish. Right. Approaches. Exactly. And, and because um, it's, it's this idea that love the love that we have for God is actually displayed in the way in which we love each other's mm-hmm. or love others and, and each other. Um, yeah, it does become the antidote of, because it puts our focus. If you think about it, love for God and loving others as yourself puts the focus outside of ourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always on the other. And that I think, you know, I feel like stealing Tim Keller's material here, like every other evangelical in this <laughs> last two decades. But I mean, that is a unique challenge to uh, us as people who are always looking inward uh, to find acceptance and identity and, mm-hmm. and, and, that sort of thing like that the gospel has always been a radical challenge to every culture that it comes to Mm. this i think is our particular it was like you said earlier it was a challenge to the jews it was a challenge to um the uh, to the gentiles it was if you think back to the reformation era is a challenge to them in its own way and here it's a particular challenge to us in that way yeah, and, and the way you said it, I think, um, you know, the way that even John lays it out, that, um, and the way that Christ, Christ, of course, repeats it, and I think you you went at that when you started this the sermon on this piece, that that love of God is that is that core center piece that defines what love mm-hmm. is everywhere else. I think of one thing where this would could be poorly read in our culture to say, oh, I, I know what love is, it's open acceptance or it's you know political mm-hmm. agreement, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. But really, you don't have the option to decide what loving your neighbor looks like. That's been determined by God, and therefore, to love him and, and allow my heart to be changed by how he loves, mm-hmm. that has to define what it means that I don't hate my brother. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's important for us to grapple with, because I think what, our, what we're all struggling with now is not a culture that, you know, it's always nice, if you, well, I would say nice, but if you lived in a time when you say, oh, my culture's bad because it just says, oh, we hate everyone. You say, well, that's easy. I don't want to hate anybody. So I'm called love. We live in a culture where actually the, their main claim to cultural identity is that they know how to love the stranger, the neighbor, the poor. 
and we Christians don't. Mm -hmm. um, but John here is not using love in a way that this culture would understand. Mm -hmm. Whatever part of our culture we're from, human culture yeah. typically doesn't get this, right? So mm -hmm. what is it about this love that's particularly theocentric, if we can use a theological, theological term? Yeah, and, well, I think part of, the, part of the answer is that this love never abandons law. It right. never abandons the order of creation right. in the way that it was laid out. So, so um, you know, God creates this world. The way he begins to recreate it is by giving his people laws. Mm -hmm. Those laws are not arbitrary. They are not moralistic. Mm -hmm. They're about restoring the order that creation was created with back into a people who will then extend that out until it covered until the knowledge of God, the order, the rule of God covers the earth as waters cover the sea. So I think there's a sense in which um, maybe, maybe, maybe the tension is, is that we have love as a free floating abstract, like it means kindness, it means gener bigness of heart, it means generosity. When in the in the in the scriptures in the narrative of of creation and and redemption mm. um love means god restoring the world to the way that he always intended it to be and restoring humanity in that same way along with it so i think i think that might be you know one of the one of the more difficult places that perhaps a modern uh, society when they talk about love, ha we're using the same language, but we're not necessarily talking about the same thing. That's, yeah, that's really helpful. And I guess that, that goes back as you're, as you're talking, I was looking back to verse seven, that, that this new commandment, which Jesus says, and I think you quoted in your sermon, mm -hmm. that this, this new commandment that you love one another, that that is not a different commandment. Yeah. But it's, yeah, the, that's, it's, it's the point of the commandments was to arrive at that. So as you said, and I just want to restate it because I think it's so insightful that when God is talking about love, he's talking about love in the context and framework of the law that he's given us graciously to build the world around so that it becomes yeah. part of Eden all over again. Like yeah, that. exactly. The, and I, I think sometimes in our talk, we for, in our, we forget that the law was always a gracious hmm. gift. Now, keeping it was not always possible, <laughs> but the law itself was a gracious gift. Um, I have this on on my um, on the order of worship for this week. Um, I found this quote that it says, uh, "All that is antithetical to God and His grace is passing away. It is doomed. There is no future in worldliness." And I, I just, I, I, I sort of want to spend some time with that this, this Sunday as, as I, well, here's a little bit of a preview, but as, as I contemplate what it means that the world is passing away, is hmm. that good news or bad news? And, <laughs> and in a sense, um, I, you know, I don't want to be cavalier about it. And, and I, I don't think John is being, I think, I think there's a way in which the world passing away is theological and pastoral. Mm -hmm. um, 
but but the point is that you know there's a lot of things that just need to pass away mm. in the world um it reminds me of like uh sometimes there is a graciousness in just being able to start over again and not not have to take everything that's there now we you know new creation the world being transformed into what it was always meant to be but the order of it the the order of the systems and and the brokenness of the system there's a real sense in which the passing away of the orders that have been so broken and have done so much damage is actually that's not a threat to us <laughs> that, that the world passing away is this sort of rich and blessed promise and and it's interesting to me that that's actually if you talk if you you're you're the you're the historian here you're the intellectual historian but it seems to me that that is at the impulse of so many many movements yeah. that start out seeking good and, and and seeking to do good that often end in disaster as you've mentioned more than once um is this impulse to it's time for this to pass away whether it's the french revolution what, what whatever it may be um yeah i think that's right and i think i think what's what's important and probably the hardest to see is that the order god has given us in creation and then finally to his people in the law as christ then restates on the on the sermon on the mount is so contrary to what this world calls good in so many ways that it's it's hard because mm. one of these is dominant and i think jesus talks about the spirit of this age mm -hmm. you know paul talks about principalities and powers that 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 they they always come up with these new rules for how it is right to how it is to live rightly mm -hmm. um, and to organize our lives by them and then there's always this law of god that always seems out of step overly harsh yeah. pointed in the wrong places um but that's 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 the work of recreation i think to your point not that we keep it but yeah. that Christ kept it and that Christ will restore it. I, I, I think that's a, it's a fascinating thing that Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at least the first part of it, when he says, you know, not a jot or tittle of my law will be lost. Right. Um, who you kind of like him to say, now that I'm here, who right. let's get rid of that. Let's, this, this thing was <laughs> a disaster. I tried. It was a disaster. I admit it. Here's Jesus. <laughs> but this is really interesting because I think, um, if we don't understand that Jesus was a product of the law, right. this is what the law, this is what right. the law produces right. is in human form. It produces Jesus right. and everyone loves Jesus. Like who doesn't love Jesus? I mean, at one level, but that's a product of the reordering of the world back to what it was intended to be someone who came and could actually live out that order and what you get is this guy's who is universally loved and welcomed and hailed even if you don't follow him i mean right. he's a first-rate dude <laughs> but he's a product of of god god's law in a sense which is that, that's fabulous and i i hope that people just sit and dwell on that uh just for a little bit to understand i think yeah for me too how how the law while it becomes our enemy because it simply points out what we can't do is at once also our, our profound hope mm -hmm. that by the power of the spirit we mm -hmm. will actually follow christ by living out the law which seems to be what john right. is saying by by calling this love calling us to this and saying that if we don't do it we're living in darkness yeah in one sense that's judgmental but also it's like yeah. how horrible you've been given the law of love 
right. given this wonderful, this wonderful model, also your redeemer Christ. So live like he lives and move into light because mm-hmm. everything else is darkness and disorder yeah. and tohu babohu. And again, that's creational terms that John is drawing on again. Here yeah. And, and I think pastorally, I want to make one thing very clear. We're not talking about the, all, we're talking about loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength and loving Jesus and, and loving your neighbor as yourself. We're not talking about the laws about shellfish. Um, I think <laughs> I think today is National Lobster Day, or maybe that oh, was yesterday. Probably. I don't I don't remember. But we're but, not the anonymous here, we, right? Right. We're talking about we're talking about this idea, but that goes back directly to the failure of the modern idea, in a sense, which uh, you know you can boil it down a whole bunch of ways. But sure. at, at some level, it's self obsession, and the law is actually pulling you away from obsession with the self Mm. loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength and loving your neighbors yourself. And like, that is the thing that reorders the universe. And and it's against everything. I would imagine that there's a sense in which you could go through and look at all of the ways in which the universe is pushing against those or in our society at a whole bunch of different levels and and really come up with some clarity on wow yeah this all really does uh, when, when when someone says you know you be, you become your own referent you become your own source of authenticity rather than something that's given to you from outside of yourself anyway i'm Well, and it's fascinating. I mean, obviously, again, we're saying, and I think if I could pull this back to what you started with us, is that there's so much deep theology, but actually has so much pastoral import for us. Yeah, yeah, to think of that, that the law is what God gave us to recreate the world, which is finally defined and lived out as, as love, which that's hard enough to grasp, and that Christ lives out that love by giving his life for us, and then says, now come back and give your life for your neighbor. And that's Mm -hmm. how you love me. It's, um, I mean, there's a, there's a lifetime of, of, well, there's a whole scripture of theology to unpack just in that, just yeah. in those concepts there. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. So much out of that come all of the pastoral points of what it means to be human, the humility and the, yeah, there's so much that flows out of that. Yeah. What it means to, to live in love, um, mm-hmm. which is the fullness, the fullest expression of the law is to actually do that. Um, yeah. Well, there's a lot to unpack here, Pastor Luke. I look forward to the next couple next couple weeks as you continue to work through. Yeah, I, I, a lot I, of richness here. I think my own reflection on John has sort of um, followed after the pattern of the the, the letter itself. Is it, it seems I get a little better grasp and a little fuller picture each week that I, mm-hmm. I spend time spend time in it, and it's been fun. Well, I dare say that's going to be our response too. And to prayerfully go through this, I think you've, you've asked in the past to, to read and sit with these mm, things. I think yeah. the tendency is to come to church and hear a sermon and, and then sort of you know, process it through lunch on Sunday and then, and then forget. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a real call here to, to really sit with these passages because just, just in the reading of them, you know, God, God seems to work something through us in that. Yeah. So encouragement to me too, to just mm-hmm. make sure I'm sitting with these things during the week. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for, um, continuing to lead this and ask good questions and and help us think through and talk through some of these things. You bet. Thank you, Pastor Luke. Thank you.